Mother's Day. Uh, Travis already said that this morning, and I want to say it again and just say um, that I know that Mother's Day can be kind of a tough day for many people. It's also a great day for many people. And so we just want to acknowledge that, that there's, there's a big spectrum of us in, this, in the room this morning. Some of us have lost a mom. Some of us want to have kids and we can't. And um, some of us are going to be celebrated today. Uh, for all of our ladies, we have buntinis, okay? Yes, I, I, I can say that word, buntinis. At either entrance as you leave, grab a little bunt cake. Uh, we have several flavors you can grab, and our host should have those, and they'll be at the tables on the way out. So we'd love to give that to you today. We've also got a photo booth, and if you're on social media and you want to put it on Instagram, we'd love to see all of our new all of our campuses have photo booths up today. So just hashtag it. I think New City Moms. If you hashtag New City Moms, uh, then we can follow all the different pictures from our church together, and uh, we thought that would be really, really fun. Uh, so we're in Acts chapter 8 today, and we're talking about moving beyond. Uh, we're looking at the early church and how the gospel extends, the good news of Jesus extends uh, to the ends of the earth, and it started in Jerusalem, but in this segment of the series, we're looking at its movement outside of the city of Jerusalem. And I just love this word beyond. I think it's a great word that we chose, and Here's my question for you. As we think about moving beyond and God moving us beyond, where is the one place, you don't have to say it out loud and you don't have to admit it if you're not proud of it, but where's one place or the place that you will never, ever go? Many of us have vowed in our hearts that there are places that we'll go for God. There are things that we'll do for God, but there are places that we just simply are closed off to. And for some of us, we're just kind of closed off to moving anywhere beyond where we are right now. And the book of Acts pushes us to move outside of our comfort zones. Now, I'll just tell you a silly one for me. There's a place I'll never go, uh, and it's actually all over the world. It's called Taco Bell, okay? I will never go to Taco Bell. I used to eat there as a child, and when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me because I just can't stomach a cheesy gordita crunch anymore in my life. It, it makes me sick for about a week if I eat it. So that's a silly example, but, but all of us have places when I say that that you're like, uh, I'm not comfortable here, so I'm not going to go here. Uh, I, I'll do this for God, but, I, but I'm definitely not going to make concessions in other parts of my life. And we've kind of, in many ways, put up walls in life to the plan of God. And as we read the book of Acts, it challenges us to break down all of our walls with Jesus and to just embrace his movement for what it is. And if we do, it will take us beyond where we ever thought we would ever go, what we ever imagined could ever really be for us, and what we thought is possible. And the life of faith calls us to step outside of where we're comfortable and into the reality that God's called us to. So Acts chapter 8. Here's the big idea this morning as we look at Acts chapter 8 and the life of this man named Philip. It's that God's movement goes into the beyond only when we participate and respond. The movement of God moves into the beyond. It goes into the beyond when you and I choose to participate and respond. The unifying verse we said as we looked at the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus gives this commission, which he gives in other uh, parts of Scripture and some of the Gospels as well. Uh, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Meaning, the movement starts here in Jerusalem, right? Jesus says this after he's uh, died on a cross and risen from the dead and then spent 40 days 
with his followers. And as he goes up to heaven, right before he ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, he says, listen, I'm leaving. You're going to be my witnesses, not just here, but all over the earth. I want you to take what I've given to you, what I've entrusted to you, and I want you to move outside of where you ever thought you would move. I want you to go to places you never thought you'd go. I'm going to take you there. So two things as we look at the life of Philip. Um, One of the things I like as we're looking at uh, Stephen last week and Philip this week is when the book of Acts starts, most of the attention is focused on the apostles, right? These men who have spent three years or so with Jesus, walking with him in life. But as we look at Stephen and now as we look at Philip, we're looking at people who um, weren't the original 12 disciples that Jesus calls in the Gospels. And I think one of the things to highlight there is that we have an MVP mentality sometimes when it comes to the mission of God in the world. We think that superstars are the ones who are going to do all of the work and carry all of the weight. And what we see in the book of Acts very quickly is not all of the attention is on the apostles. God quickly moves the spotlight to other characters, to other figures who are building his church. And what he's saying in that is, it's not an MVP mentality when it comes to my kingdom. I think we're guilty of that too. Part of that's our culture. Part of that's just being people. We want the spotlight to be on one or two people and we think, man, um, if I could just get you to church and you could hear our pastor or you could see our staff or you could get into a relationship with people in our church, then maybe you could come to faith in Christ. Maybe that's how I'll build it. I'll put my friends and family that I love, I'll bring the mission of God to me rather than taking the mission of God to them. And that's kind of how we operate. And I think often of how um, there's somebody who wins a Super Bowl or an NBA championship, you know, take Tom Brady, take Michael Jordan, take any of the great athletes of our time, And a lot of them will talk how it's really about the team. Now, my question is, do we really believe that or not? Do we really believe that or not? Because we tend to put the spotlight on one person and we forget about and negate the others. And what we're learning as Luke writes the book of Acts is it's not just about one person. And then here's the other thing to see before we jump into the text. We're going to look at the life of Philip. Last week, we briefly looked at the life of Stephen. And the, and the ministry of, of these two men. Obedience always looks easier in someone else's life than in our own, okay? It's easy to look at Philip and be like, well, he did it. Look at what he did. He could do it. He, 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 was, he was in the early church, right? He was seeing the apostles perform miracles. And it's always easy for us to look at somebody else as they're living obediently to the call of God on their life and say, well, it's easy for them. But the bottom line is obedience is difficult for all of us. It's costly for all of us. And so for you and for me, if we're going to live obediently to God, it's going to cost us. It always does. So we see um, a few things in this text as God movement goes into the beyond as we participate and respond. And the first is this. We have to actively respond uh, to the circumstances that play out in our lives. Let's look at the text together. Acts chapter 8, and I'll read verses 1 and 4. Verse 1 says this. And there arose on that day, this was after Stephen uh, was stoned to death, a persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but the church scatters. The church scatters. And as they scatter, they're scattered for mission. They're scattered for ministry. And then verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So Philip has this event of persecution happen. He's scattered outside of the city limits of Jerusalem, and he's scattered into Samaria. And through his circumstances, he's moved into a new season of ministry and life. And here's what he does. He actively responds to it. He begins preaching the gospel to them. Now, we have two choices uh, as circumstances play themselves out in our lives. We can actively respond, we can actively respond, or we can passively react, okay? Those are really kind of the two ways that we typically respond to the circumstances of life. And I wonder, as I, as I look at, at our congregation this morning, are you an active responder or are you a passive reactor? You know, if you're an active responder, you take ownership and you understand that you've been put in circumstances for a reason. You may not have caused them directly and you may not have total control over the outcome of what's going to happen, but you have been called to respond. And a response is much different than a reaction. A response is thoughtful, it's calculated, and it's built on a life of wisdom. But a reaction is often emotional, it's often frazzled, it's often frenetic, and it's often um, without much thought. Are you a victim or are you victorious? Uh, most of us with circumstances, when we don't like the way that they're going, we play the victim card. And when we do that, we almost always re react poorly when we play the victim card. Do we have any babies in the room? Do we have any powders in the room? When things don't go the way that you wanted them to, you, you just throw a pity party. I mean, some of us have kids, okay? And we know about this as we raise our children. Ted and Mary Rachel know about this as they're raising their kids. When things don't go the way your kids want them to, often they will respond like children. But here's the deal. So do I. When things don't go the way that Ryan wants them to in Ryan's world, often Ryan acts like a child. Maybe this happened on Friday. Maybe there were some things going on Friday morning and I found myself not at work and I was hanging out with my spouse and, and there were some things that were going on, a conversation we were having that I didn't like. And maybe, maybe in the little, uh, you know, windowed porch at Brakeman's Coffee in downtown Matthews, maybe, maybe I got in a fight with her over text message and it was all my fault because I was being a baby. I tend to make things other people's fault. I tend to shift blame onto them for what's going on in my life when I don't like it. And when I do that, I become passive and I react. I'm not responding in faith. I make decisions that are all about me and not all about God and his plan and his way in the world. And it's so easy to get derailed in a life of faith in following God and trying to be obedient to Jesus with the, with the big and the small things of life. See, when you're a victim what you end up doing is you end up hurting the people around you that you love the most. But when you grab a hold of the victory that you already have because Jesus won the battle because of the cross, because of his resurrection from the dead, that this thing we call the gospel, when you grab a hold of the gospel, you know I'm not helpless. I'm not a victim. I've already won, and I didn't even fight the battle. Jesus fought it for me. And because Jesus went before me, I don't need to worry about what's ahead of me because he's already there and he already sees it. 
He saved me in my past, he's gonna save me today, and he's gonna save me in my future. And so when you know that you've been helped, you can help others. But when you feel like all you've been is hurt, then what you tend to do is hurt others. And Philip is persecuted for his faith in Jesus. He could think of himself as a victim, but what happens as he scatters? He goes to Samaria and he's like, listen, I've been helped by Jesus and I'm in Samaria and I'm going to help other people with the way of Jesus. And he begins opening his mouth and speaking for Jesus. The second thing that we see in the text is that we need to move beyond cultural comfort. As we go beyond, one of the things that happens as the gospel uh, plays out in our life, as the way of Jesus plays out in our life, is all the things that, that make us comfortable, we're forced to say, you know what, uh, it's okay that these parts of me are comfortable in my own home or host culture, but God wants me to begin to move to be uncomfortable. Because what the way of Jesus does, right, what faith in Jesus does, what what church community really is, is we think not just about local churches, particular churches like ours, but the universal church as a whole is we're swept into a movement of people who come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, different cultures, and our culture is not the culture. But when we're just in our culture, we forget that. And we feel like we're the only ones, and we get a little entitled. So let's look at the text together. It says that Philip went to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him, and they saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits, carrying, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. If you know anything about the geography and the and the and the the makeup of the land at this time, right? We've got Jerusalem in the south and Galilee in the north, and we've got Samaria in the middle. And the Samaritans were, were of Jewish descent, but they had also intermarried with the peoples around them, and they were despised by the Jewish people. They were half-breeds. They were, they were scum. They were hated. Nobody wanted to associate with a Samaritan. So when you had to go from Jerusalem up to Galilee or anywhere north of Jerusalem that was past Samaria, you would walk intentionally around Samaria just so you didn't have to go there and have the off chance of meeting a Samaritan, okay? So nobody wanted to associate with Samaritans. But what happens as soon as persecution comes and the church scatters? Philip goes to Samaria. He understands what Jesus has said. You're going to be my witnesses, not just here in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Philip gets this clue this is not just for us. This is for everybody. And if we're honest, we're, we're a lot like the Jews were then. There are places in our world that we avoid if we can. There are places that we will never go if we can. And, and more than that, if we go there, often our view of mission in those communities or in those places that are different than us, not better, not worse, different than us, is that we will parachute in for a moment but we will not plant ourselves there. Much of suburban life is predicated on comfort and security. So that's why the common prayer when I was in student ministry, and we've said this many times, is Lord, give us safety as we go, traveling mercies. I don't know what traveling mercies are, but they're, they're pretty merciful. Okay, so Lord, give us those as we travel, because, because and, and that's not a bad thing to pray for, 
but so much of our life is built around our own security and our own comfort. And we're called to move beyond cultural comfort. I mean, Samaria was within their borders, but it was outside of their comfort zone. So I just want to, I want to mention a few things that, that make us uncomfortable when we go outside of people who look like us, think like us, talk like us, and act like us. And I just would love you to process internally. What do you do when you're around people from other races and ethnicities and you're the minority? How do you feel when you're in that situation? How do you feel when you're around people who are from different socioeconomic backgrounds than yourself? Or maybe even there are people who live in different regions of our city. Like we have a, a big metropolitan area at this point, and there are people who live in other places like Belmont and Gastonia and up in Huntersville and even down south of us in Fort Mill, right? They're all a part of Metro Charlotte. How do you feel when you have to go to a different region? How do you feel when you step outside of the city, if you're a city person, and you step into the country? Because the country is the country is the country, wherever you go, whether you're from Michigan, where I'm from, or you're from the deep south, the country is the country, and it has its own unique culture. And when you think about being uncomfortable culturally, do you see your role as making another culture or another group your pet project, or are they people that you're supposed to have a relationship with? One of the great works of Jesus as he, as he brings renewal to the world, right? In the fall of man, shalom, God's way of flourishing for people, it's vandalized. And so very quickly, people's relationships become fractured. Um, in the Tower of Babel, they're, they're, they're trying to make a way to heaven on their own, and God says, uh-uh, we're not doing that. You're not going to make a way to me. This isn't the gospel. I'm going to make a way to you, so I'm going to frustrate this so that I can show you your real need for me. But in, in the church, in the great work of bringing people from different backgrounds together in the church, God brings people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he calls them his bride. He calls them his people. And he brings us together. He brings us together. This is one of the great works of the gospel, and yet most of us spend the majority of our life with people who look and think and talk exactly like us. And some of that is just kind of how we've been raised and how our culture works. But Jesus calls us to break down those walls in our culture that are, that are, that are broken cisterns, that are bad systems. And he says, he says destroy those and, and show people who I am and what I'm like. And part of that is marked by his people being willing to be uncomfortable as they move outside of their normal boundaries in life. That's why we want to be here for the good of our city. But we don't just want to do that by doing things for other people and then feeling good about it, but we want to build relationships. So for some of us, we could jump into our summer scholars program that started a couple weeks ago and going on for a while. We're going to have book fairs at two schools in parts of town that are, that are more ethnically diverse uh, than our congregation is this morning. And the goal is that you would go and serve at those places, um, but you wouldn't just parachute in and say, you know what, I feel good, I served at a book fair, but you would begin to have a heart for a community that's different than your own and begin to invest there and begin to build relationships there. Because God hasn't called you to 
rescue, he's called you to relationship, okay? And you need people who are different than you just as much as they need you. And if you don't think that, then you're fooling yourself. So we're called to move beyond cultural comfort, uh, and we're called to go beyond our borders. Uh, We're going to look at the story of Philip uh, and the Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to start in verse 26, but... uh, Later on, I'd encourage you to read about Simon the Magician and what happens in Samaria. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, Peter and John come, and they see what's going on, and and God uh, calls them to love people outside of their own comfort zones. They leave Jerusalem and come to Samaria. Um, But then after Philip's done with his work in Samaria, it says this in verse 26. I'd love for you to look at the text with me. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip has been in Samaria. He's been doing great work. And then all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, listen to me. You need to move on from this work that you're involved in right now. And it says this, this is a desert place. That's the comment that Luke makes in the text. Now, to go down from that road from Jerusalem to Gaza um, is to go toward Ethiopia. It's to go south, down down that road. And, and, And Jews never went down that road. It wasn't somewhere they ever wanted to go because it was headed toward the land of the Philistines. But it says in verse 27, he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Uh, If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it right now, but don't Google it later, okay? A eunuch, um, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. So he's head of the Ethiopian treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now get this, he's come from about 750 miles away, okay? So he's made a long journey. It probably, the whole trip to get to Jerusalem and then to go back to Ethiopia probably took about three months. And he's in this chariot and he's been to Jerusalem. He's probably a a Jewish proselyte, a Jewish convert from Ethiopia. He's seeking the way of God and he's riding back to Ethiopia, And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked. Now, listen, nobody had scrolls of the prophet Isaiah. They they didn't have printing presses in the first century, right? So all of this is just a picture of something that's not Uh, normative at all for most people, but this Ethiopian is a seeker of God, and he wants to understand his way. So he's probably bought, I don't think he stole it from the temple. I think he's bought a copy of the scroll because he wants to understand. He wants to know, and he just so happens to be reading uh, from this passage in Isaiah 53. And Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So here's the deal. This guy went to Jerusalem to seek God, but what happened is he was going home was God sought him. This is the gospel. You don't find God. God finds you. And this is the work that he calls us to. We don't help people find God. God's already found them, and he just tells us when to go help them. God's already found the people that he's going to bring into his kingdom, and God just says, go find the people that I've already found. Now, that may seem a little confusing, but it takes a lot of the pressure off of you and me. All we have to do is listen to the Spirit. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens his mouth. 
not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is the passage about the suffering servant. Now, the Ethiopian has just been to Jerusalem, and because he's a eunuch, he can't worship in the temple. He can't worship in the temple. So he just, he stands on the outside looking in. And what God does is he brings an insider to him and he helps him to understand that he can be an insider and, and have everything that he's ever wanted um, because he understands this text. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does, this, does the prophet say this? Is this about himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Second century uh, pillar of the church, Irenaeus, uh, talks about this, and, and he says that this, is, this man went and was a great missionary to people in Ethiopia. But here's the deal. The gospel calls you and me. Jesus calls you and me outside to go outside of our own borders. So much of our time on earth is spent uh, kind of calculating how we can have what we want, how can we, we can retire the way that we want to, how we can um, go on the vacations that we'd like to. And this is kind of a challenging thought, but, but how many of us have stepped outside of America and onto the mission field with God? Probably not many of us in this room. And this is not a guilt sermon. This is not a shame sermon. But what if, what if every person from New City Church over the next five years got out of the country? We'd have to probably plan a few more trips, okay? That's probably be something that would be a necessity for us. But what if we got out of the country and saw what God was doing around the world? Not to fix the world, not to be the answer to all the world's problems, but to be a part of what God is doing as he calls people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. That's what Philip does. Philip doesn't have to go. He's willing to go. And a lot of times we say this, and I'll close with this, um, and this isn't a, a wrong thing. We say, well, the world's coming to us. Yes, the world is coming to us. The world is coming to Charlotte. So if we're not going to the world here, then why would we go you know, as we, as we get on a plane and get a passport and go to another country. If we're not willing to go in our own backyard, why would we get on a plane and go overseas? But here's the deal. If we say that and we're doing nothing about it, then that phrase for us just becomes a cop-out. Well, the world's coming to Charlotte, so what are you doing about it? Are you engaging with refugees? Do you have friends who are from the Middle East? Have you invited them into your home? Do you care about them? Do you pray for them? Have you found people in our city to pray for and partner with in ministry who are from other countries, who speak other languages, who don't feel at home here? God's called all of us, just like he called Philip, to go to people from other ethnic backgrounds and to reach them with the good news of Jesus. It's just about our participation. Let's pray and then I'll read our benediction. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this community. And... Um, Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us uh, just to respond to you in the ways that you're calling us to as we follow you, 
as we live obediently to your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you